All right, welcome to another episode of Keo Conversations. I am your host, Mark Champagne, and it is my job to unpack the stories and mental fitness practices of people really rocking it personally and professionally. This was a really fun conversation with AJ. He's worked with some of the largest meditation apps on the market, Calm and Oak Meditation being uh, a couple to name. So he, he comes to the table with a really unique perspective, especially when you layer in what he's super passionate about, which is data analytics, behavior change, human consciousness, um, all centered around you know one spot, basically mindfulness and, and how we can live our, our best life. So I'm pumped to share this. It's loaded full of practices that you can inject into your daily routine. And I hope everyone enjoys this. If you are enjoying the conversations, you know what to do. Please leave us a review or some love wherever you're listening. And lastly, this conversation, as well as the whole podcast, is brought to you by Keo, our daily mental fitness app. All of these incredible guests are loaded in app to help guide you through your daily reflection. KYO, Apple App Store, you'll see it pop up. Have the absolute best day yet. AJ, first question for you is, who are you or what defines you as a person? Well, there's a thousand ways I could answer that. Um, I guess <laughs> the uh, one way I'll start is maybe using formal titles. Uh, data scientist, podcast host. Uh, my friends call me a part-time philosopher, so I often um, refer to myself <laughs> that. in that way. Um, and also uh, just really you know, curious world traveler, spent a lot of time on the road. Um, I guess defining yourself, um, I think I often think about that in terms of where I spend my time. Um, I spend my time a lot of times in contemplation, um, in my free time, and also in nature. I'm doing a lot of hiking um, and journaling and reading and um, developing relationships with really curious people. Um, I'd say curiosity and energetic. Um, so my curiosity and energy, I'd say are probably two uh, qualities that tend to come up most. I'd agree with you. You know, as soon as you said those words, it I was brought right back to the the moment we met um, back in the summer at a, a health tech or a mind tech conference, and you know, it was just one of those scenarios. We, myself was I was there obviously with and with Sine with our the co-founder of Keo, and you know, I felt like we could have talked for for hours. There was just this this energy and this passion and this to your point curiosity on kind of both sides, but it just it you know, and it led to this podcast and it led to other conversations. So where, you know, I'm not surprised to hear about the philosophy angle there. Have you, have you always been like that? Like, where's that coming from in your life? Yeah. You know, I think I asked way too many questions growing up. Um, and I got myself in a lot of trouble <laughs> because of that. Um, but just, you know, in school, um, I never really took anything for granted. I've always had a really unhealthy relationship with authority. Um, that's actually gotten me in, uh, quite a bit of trouble I didn't necessarily need to get into. Um, but um, I was a bit, a bit stubborn as a kid um, and both with parents and, you know, teachers and um, coaches and you know, everyone pretty much, every adult figure in my life, I've been a bit resistant toward um, someone else controlling my destiny. Uh, and I felt uh, that philosophy for me is more of a form of self-inquiry um, and a form of, mm. um, you know, seeing things as they are, um, 
digging deeper than surface level, trying to understand, you know, what are my motivations in a situation? What is the other person's motivations in the situation? Um, and I find that reading philosophy um, is like a fantastic way of um, exploring that. Interesting. Well, how did, you know, because I remember you mentioning, or this could have come up in the podcast research, but I know that your like your childhood was, you know, not the easiest, right? You were dealing there was there was a lot of mental health related challenges in the family with your parents and whatnot. Like, was there a moment in your life where you noticed that weight on you and started processing that in in, in some capacity? Because I guess the reason I ask that is that you seem like a very reflective person and, and knowing you now, I'm just trying to see where that, that was originating. Yeah. Um, so I guess a couple moments. One is when I was 12 years old, I started my first business um, and that was called Supreme Tennis. Um, it basically was a tennis lesson service business in my hometown. Imagine I'm 12 years old. I've been playing tennis for a couple of years, gotten pretty good um, in the junior circuit, but decided I didn't just want to play. I also wanted to teach. Um, and then actually went home one day and uh, asked to be signed up for a USDA instructor workshop that would get me certified as a, as a teacher um, from the United States Tennis Association. Um, and after getting that certification, I came home that day, um, went on the computer, created some flyers for tennis lessons, um, and then proceeded to uh, put that on every single business's window that I could find within like a three mile radius the next day. Um, this was, I was like five foot um, tall at the time. And so I went around these businesses, like barely stand over the counter. And I asked these business owners if I could put my flyer on their window. Uh, and it was um, one of those interactions where I think they just felt bad for me and they did it anyway to let me do it. Uh, and I, okay. <laughs> I proceeded then a few weeks later to actually get my first client. Uh, and uh, I guess the rest is history. Over the course of the next several years, I um, had built a clientele, um, I think of like, let's say 60 or 70 different people. It was just running the business by myself, pretty much teaching ages between ages five to 12 originally, then five to 18, eventually five to um, probably like 65. Um, and I think much of my um, my own, there's a few reasons I started that, you know, one was because I wanted to have something I can control. And there was a lot of chaos in my in my home. Uh, I felt like I needed to be able to own something. Uh, and that was what I was owning. And having that business, having relationships I was developing outside of the house, practicing, you know, conflict resolution skills that I didn't really learn within my own household, but outside um, in the world um, was a really, you know, healthy experience for me. And so I'd say starting Supreme Tennis was like one of the um, key, you know, shifting moments in my childhood. And I ran that for the next six years before I sold the business when I left for college at 18. Um, you know, and the only other wow. I guess, moment that I think a lot about is what happened after that. It's like, I, I decided I was going to go away for college and actually chose the university that I was, um, that was furthest from home. I wanted to get as far away from home okay. as possible. Um, that was university of Michigan. And, um, I think that was another moment, defining moment away, breaking away from roots, a way of kind of going on my own and, and figuring out things, uh, as an independent person. Hmm. I, I'd imagine, cause like, so you're 12 years old, you're, you're, you're starting this business, which, you know, is obviously already in the, in the small percentage of, of, of individuals, uh, even, even more so at that age, like where, how, how did you get the confidence to just see through those challenges, right? Like, I, I guess, how, how did you even start building up a client base, right? Cause like, how could people 
believe that this 12 year old has what it takes to, you know, to teach, teach other kids and all of that. And I, cause I can see the link now knowing you a bit with your, your passion for startups. It's, it's basically mm. the same recipe, right? <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. I mean, <laughs> it's funny, uh, Mark. I think that the, the, while I built out the client base was purely through word of mouth that for those flyers I put on windows, I got one client from that. And that one person referred okay. to a second person who referred two more people who referred, you know, four more people. And it was basically just an exponential function from there. Um, they all came as a result of one relationship being built um, at a time, the referrals, if you will. Um, you know, and as far as the confidence thing, uh, I think that actually did come from home. Uh, my parents never told me I couldn't do something, although they were um, challenged respectively in their own rights with, you know, different uh, mental health issues, as you mentioned. Uh, I felt mm-hmm. that uh, in some ways, you know, while we would have really low lows, like really catastrophically, you know, very scarring and incredibly um, tremendously hurtful lows as a family, um, I felt like the highs were you know, equally extreme. Um, and in some ways, um, I feel like I was defined by those those moments, not as much the ones that were not, not as much the valleys, but more the uh, the peaks and. What I mean by that is, you know, it's like it's like parents telling me you're they're proud of me for you know doing something small like I don't know remembering to get something at the grocery store or um, getting a good grade in class, and they kind of always reinforced that sense of potential. Um, or then I felt like there weren't really limits. You know, I looked at other people who would say, you know, I can't do that because dot dot dot, and I was like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Like I can do anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's continue your story a bit until we, and then I'll, we'll eventually get into some of your mental fitness practices, but there, uh, you know, there's, there's a big shift I think coming, or I shouldn't even say shift because now that, that, that you provide some context here, it seems like, you know, when you went to Michigan for university, there were a few events there that really propelled, let's say your interests in, in self-development or, you know, your mental fitness, um, one was a trip and then I think there was, you know, just even just downloading the app calm. So why don't you fill us in a little bit about how that, that journey progressed? Yeah, totally. So I headed off to Michigan. Um, first year was a bit of a blur. I joined a fraternity, um, drank way too much alcohol and <laughs> partied um, all the time. Uh, didn't really take uh, university per se too seriously, although I did do a lot of, I think, what is inherently in my uh, blood, which is like a lot of networking, <laughs> of meeting new people, yeah. um, expanding my uh, just just understanding of different communities within the um, campus. Um, so I, I did join like a lot of different organizations, the fraternity being one of them, um, and got to meet a lot of different people. I quickly resonated with um, the mm-hmm. entrepreneurial folks the most. And so I did the kind of a breadth first search when I entered the university, explored like, you know, 20 different organizations. And I found immediately the curiosity, the energy, the enthusiasm, the, you know, purpose that uh, the entrepreneurial organization, specifically the Center for Entrepreneurship at the University of Michigan, um, that uh, that really resonated with me. And the people there, I mean, resonated with me. And hmm. uh, then going into my sophomore year, you know, I actually dropped the fraternity. I realized it was the people there just weren't um, my type of people. I guess and what I mean by that is I felt like I was becoming someone I didn't want to be. Um, the qualities that they were exemplifying, the uh, just character that was being displayed um, just didn't really resonate with me. And I I didn't want to become more of that. And so I decided to distance myself from that organization. And then sophomore year, I actually decided after spending a summer 
at State Farm um, interning in Bloomington, Illinois, where there's more corn than people. Um, I <laughs> basically uh, spent the whole, most of the summer isol- in isolation watching like um, startup videos by like Steve Blank and Eric Rees and like just like deep diving into the whole lean startup movement, which at the time was just becoming um, very popular. Uh, and I, uh, I proceeded to come back to campus and actually convince my parents that I was going to take a semester off um, to run a startup full time. Um, I decided, you know, I was very inspired by what I was reading and what I was hearing um, from these different methodologies, Steve Blank and Eric Ries, uh respective books. Um, and then uh, took a semester off, went to do basically a hackathon tour across the country, um, visited Yale, uh, Georgia Tech, um, a few other universities, even Michigan's MHACs, um, and tried to kind of immerse myself into the um, you know software entrepreneurial space, um, specifically by okay. learning how to code. And that's what were you studying, AJ? Yeah, I was, so at the time I was studying uh, statistics, uh, and okay. I had just transitioned or was hoping to transition into the uh, engineering school to, to study industrial engineering. Okay, um, but I'd say as a whole, like if you think of Industrial engineering is really just business and statistics. And um, what I eventually ended up graduating in was data science engineering, which is uh, just computer science and statistics. So throughout the common thread throughout my whole university experience was statistics. I always have had a fascination for that. Um, And yeah, so fast forward a little bit, decided to actually start this travel startup, um, recruited a team, uh, built a product, brought that product to market um, over the course of about six months um, and was working like 80 hours a week for like, um, for the, for those six months, burning myself out. And at one point during that six month period, I, I was introduced to this fellow named Nate McCadian. Uh, and Nate, uh, has become, uh, got one of the most influential people I've ever met. Um, and all and that moment when we met at what was called an optimized meetup, which is a, a social entrepreneurship organization on campus. Uh, we, you know, it really was, was powerful. Uh, we, he, he, he really just him, him talking about his passion for, um, nutrition and uh, a little bit about mindfulness at the time uh, resonated with me. And although I never meditated before, um, because I vibe so well with him, I was wanting, to, I was curious to get to know him and his friends more. And I went back to his place to hang out that night um, and eventually um, became just pretty infatuated at the, the enthusiasm and energy that I felt with the people that were in that community. And the community I'm referring to is called Awaken Ann Arbor, um, which Nate actually helped found on uh, Michigan's campus. And this was sort of the turning point for me that's really led to the many the years of work in this you know, mindfulness meditation, if you will, mental health space sense is um, seeing that uh, sitting still and just breathing uh, actually has some use. You know, that I thought that that yeah. in itself was a waste of time. Like why would I, everything I've ever accomplished up until that point was done by hustling. So why mm-hmm. in the world would, you know, would, we're just sitting still and breathing, practicing meditation. Why would that be helpful? And I, and I just found like the, the enthusiasm that this community was bringing uh, to the day to day life lives was just as high as mine when I was working on high, high octane 80 hour work weeks, but it was a thousand times more sustainable. And I think that realization right there um, made me, uh, consider the practice in a way that I wouldn't have otherwise done. Uh, and then, you know, f- mm-hmm. fast forward, you know, many months later when I ended up uh, running into a bit of a, a downturn in my own mental health, I um, was running the business, uh, working so much, you know, 
feeling I lost my sense of purpose with it uh, and actually fell into a pretty deep depression. And can I just, before we go into that and, yeah. and thank you for sharing that and being so vulnerable. Um, but what I, I have to ask you, because it's very rare to have someone on the show that, you know, is an entrepreneur at the age of 12. So, you know, if you think back of starting the tennis business and then the travel business, like obviously the businesses are different, but what, what was different there in the sense of leading you to kind of work yourself into a, you know, a, a tough state, let's say. Yeah. I stopped like scratching was, my own itch. Yeah. What was the different? Uh, yeah. I, I stopped okay. scratching my own itch. I felt like the um, work with tennis was uh, very much um, in solving a problem that I had felt myself that, you know, the accessibility of tennis instruction um, and playing a sport that I just genuinely really enjoyed. Originally, the travel business was supposed to be a peer-to-peer -peer application that was meant to help you and a bunch of friends go on trips together. And so basically, if you and a few others were, um, were trying to figure out in a group chat or an email chain, uh, how, how are we going to organize this trip? You know, uh, where are we going to go? When are we going to leave? Um, what are we going to do? Et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's really hard to do that. And people often give up in the process of, of trying to plan those kind of trips because it's just so much chaos. We basically built a, um, an algorithm that would combine different individual travel preferences into mm -hmm. one um, group plan. And so each individual would fill out a survey describing what they wanted out of the trip. And then we would combine and find the group consensus using more or less machine learning and dimensionality reduction. It just became a math problem more or less. And rather okay. than like a really chaotic logistics problem. And the problem was, was that the business transformed quickly into what was more or less enterprise software because we got a really lucrative deal that uh, with Journeys International, um, one of the largest tour operators in the Midwest um, that I ended up taking. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I did it out of profit, not out of passion. And in the process of taking that deal and about four months into the business, um, I just, it was one of the worst decisions I had ever made. Um, and although it made sense for every like mentor and, you know, advisor that I, I was on, that was helping me run the thing, um, I, yeah it didn't make sense in deep down for me and it ended up leading to a pretty uh dark downturn okay and so how did you how did you process those emotions yeah in that stage in your life um let's see how did i process those i think i actually ignored it <laughs> to be frank um for the first sure. 3 months or 4 months of that you know a depressive episode. Um, I was completely blind to the fact that I stopped going outside, exercising, journaling, you know, spending time with friends, eating consistent meals, meditation completely fell off board. Um, all these practices and habits that I had, you know, not intentionally, but somehow built up over the course of the previous, you know, years or two, um, fell off track. And I felt, um, you know, incredibly alone and very, uh, isolated. And I guess just like not, there wasn't really much to look forward to. I didn't really enjoy the day to day was like very bleak. Um, and I had trouble getting out of bed, you know, most mornings. Um, and then just even trouble sleeping at night, even though I was exhausted, it was a bizarre three to four months, frankly, that I, I don't remember even that much about it looking back. Cause it just was, um, like a bit of a blackout of sorts. Okay. 
So what did you, how, how did you get out of that? Because I mean, I've heard a lot of those similar symptoms or scenarios and, you know, I mean, just statistically speaking, there's a lot of people going through that as we speak, right? Yeah. So for you, what, what worked to get you out of that and how'd you get back onto some of the practices that you knew, um, I'd imagine would keep you out of that, uh, spiral downward? Yeah, I think the the key was that I had surrounded myself with people who almost knew me better than I knew myself at that time. Um, and okay. specifically a mentor, his name is Walt Borland. Um, he's uh, like a second father to me at this point. Um, he was a professor at the time, uh, or still is actually at the University of Michigan School of Information. Um, and he and I developed uh, quite the close relationship uh, over the previous, I want to say, four or five months while I was running the business. Um, he was both an advisor, mentor, just like overall really good friend. Um, and he noticed what was going on. You know, he noticed I wasn't replying to his texts that I wasn't, I was canceling, you know, things at the last minute. Um, I wasn't just really very uh, present in, in situations which he normally saw me to be very present. Um, and actually at one point I... He finally got a hold of me. Um, I got got in the car with him to go to a dinner together uh, that we had been that had been scheduled for for a few months at that point. And uh, he looked at me and he's like, "AJ, like, what's going on? Like, I, like this is not like you. Like, you're not you're not responding to any to me at all. Like, I haven't heard from you in like two weeks. You normally are right on top of this kind of stuff. Like, like what's going on?" And I think I had a moment where I was like, I looked I looked outside. And I was just like, "Oh my God, Walt! Like, I've seen this before." my mom like has very severe, um, depression. Like, like I'm depressed. Like I am depressed. That is what's going on. Um, and he looked at me and he was just like, like AJ, like, like I'm going to send help. And he proceeded to contact, um, many of my best friends, uh, people who he knew that I loved dearly, regardless of what kind of state I was in. I still felt like some semblance of connection to them. And like had sent them over my house basically to, to play basketball, to play tennis, to go to the gym, to cook, to, you know, just make sure I was okay to ask to be hang out or whatever. And, um, having he, having those, what I would call now sidekicks there, people mm -hmm. who were, um, you know, mutually invested in my own recovery because it was just as fun for them to do these activities as it was healthy for me. Um, yeah, really. Like, I think turn turn things around. And did you start? Did you start like? Did the practices start back up as naturally uh, going through that that process, or what, like when did you start? Because I, I know you have a crazy long um, streak with calm, like the daily meditations, <laughs> right? Like, when did all that start? <laughs> Actually, started about a few weeks after that. So um, I came okay. out of my last final exam. This is now my sophomore year, as I mentioned before. Uh, I, I re-enrolled back, by the way, in school after one semester of being off, um, and came out my last final exam in the winter of must have been twenty. 16 at the time or so, maybe a little bit earlier than that. Um, and uh, basically uh, proceeded to come back home, uh, look at myself in the mirror and say like, okay, you know, school's over. You have no excuse now. Like, do you ever want to live like that again? And when, by that, I mean the previous four months of just darkness. It's like, I looked at myself in the mirror and I was just like, do you ever want that again? I was like, fuck no. <laughs> and so I was yeah. like, something needs to change in order for me to avoid this suffering that I was experiencing before. 
Um, you know, now I think about it, Nate and the Awakening Ann Arbor crew, I really enjoyed spending time with them in the fall. And meditation is one of those practices that I can always go back to. Well, that makes sense. Like, why don't I try doing that? And so I just basically wrote on a post-it note on my wall. I have this habit of just putting post-it notes of like wisdom um, on, on my wall. And I put a post-it note that said, you know, meditate every day starting one, was it a uh, 427 2016. That was a day. Um, and okay. I just didn't even believe I would be able to do it myself. Um, but after, you know, just day after day, it kept on going and now it's over a thousand days later <laughs> and I'm still going. Wow. You must have a plaque from Calm or something. <laughs> <laughs> As you know, I went and uh, worked with them at one point. Uh, I think that was a, yeah. that was a reward in itself was just getting to know the people there and seeing, you know, what, 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 what goes on behind the scenes. They're all the, the product is obviously, you know, life-changing, has been life-changing for me, and I recommend, you know, everyone to it, but um, also the people there are just, you know, just as fantastic as human beings. Yeah. No, I, I echo that. I mean, we're, the, the team at Keo, uh, you know, ironically has to use Calm and, and our own practices just to stay, you know, grounded and level-headed to launch our own products. So <laughs> it's one of those full circle benefits. So, and, and, and a lot of us use Calm as well. Um. I have to ask because I'm sure people are wondering, you know, the connection of data science and stats and math and all of that and someone that's super dialed into wellness and mental fitness, it doesn't seem like a, a very natural fit. So how did all that come together? Because that's, I mean, it's it seems like a really awesome marriage that, that has formed in your life in, in those two worlds. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny, Mark. I think I just recently figured this out myself. <laughs> so I, uh, I, I sort of always had these two sides to me and have never really understood really where each, I, I understood where, where each came from, you know, so data science was from fantasy baseball actually. And I'm really just my fascination with the game of baseball growing up. My uncle is the VP of statistics at Bank of America. He brought me to Phillies games. I loved, you know, all my, all the Philadelphia Phillies players like Ryan Howard, Chase Sutley and, um, you know, uh, Cole Hamels and such growing up, I was just fascinated at like eight years old going to these games and seeing my favorite athletes play. Um, and he introduced me to this idea of more or less predictive statistics, predictive modeling, sabermetrics, Moneyball, whatever you call it. Um, when I, yeah. you know, I was fairly young, um, which I loved, I thought it was like black magic. I was like, this is so cool. Um, I can predict these players. I, you know, I really love, I can predict their performance on the field. Like, no way. And, um, yeah, that's cool. Th that, that came from there. So the fascination with data science, what is now called data science came from just a love of, of baseball. Um, as far as, um, you know, the mindfulness and meditation, mental fitness side of thing goes, um, that was, I think rooted in my mom being a dietitian, um, and then extrapolated by my experience with Awakening Ann Arbor at college. Um, and so I sort of always had a sense of importance I placed on my own health, but it wasn't until I met Nate and the Awakening Ann Arbor crew that I really um, dialed in deeper in that. Now, the, the question obviously becomes, is like, so what's at the center of these two? Like, like what's at the intersection between data science and mindfulness? And why, like, why is that interesting for me? Um, and I just figured this out, I think, <laughs> just about a month ago or so. Um, so I read this article um, called... Uh, called, I believe it was Musk's Secret Sauce, um, The Cook and the Chef, um, by uh, Tim Urban on his blog, Wait But Why. 
Um, and it's a really long okay. article. Um, it's about Elon Musk's uh, first principles thinking. And basically it explains how most of us reason by analogy. Most of us are cooks. We, uh, we create recipe where we just replicate existing recipes versus, you know, the ones who really are game changing in what they bring into the world are chefs. They create their own recipes. And it sounds very simple and easy to do, but it's actually really difficult in practice. Um, and in that article, he explains, um, how most people choose careers, how most people choose um, their where they spend their time, and more or less, uh, it, as he explains it, it comes down to just a, a reasoning by analogy, a copying of um, someone around you, and making assumptions based on whatever they've told you. So, what I mean by that is, think of your parents, like think of um, the way that they spoke to you, or the way that they you know instructed you to do things growing up. When you asked why. Um, and then you play that whole why game, why, 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 why. Eventually, at one point, most, for most parents, they turn to the kid and they were just like, because I said so. And what that does is it puts like a concrete wall um, in your in your own first principles thinking. It doesn't allow you to really think things through yourself. Um, mm-hmm. And it causes a, a complete uh, you know, inability to basically, as Tim Urban talks about it, write your own software to reason independently. And in my own case, as I was reading that, I was like, hold on a second. Um, what, what was my why game? You know, if I go back to the conversations I had and I've had with parents and role models and authority figures in my life, um, what has been, what has been at the center of all that? And I was like, it's the pursuit of truth. It's the pursuit of some, some objective truth in any given situation and a complete like stubbornness for anything less than that. And I think in the same way that data science provides a objective truth through data, you know, what, what might, what some may consider to be one of the most objective forms of truth in the world. Um, I think mindfulness also provides a practice through which you can uncover that in yourself. And so for me, I think at the center of both mindfulness and data science is this just consistent pursuit of truth and, and a, a feeling of you know, ins, insatiable curiosity um, until I feel like I've reached that point. And I think just both are just practices that can lead you to truth. That's super fascinating. And I, I can I can see that. It's not where I thought you were going to go, to be honest, because as you were, as you've been speaking in, in this conversation and as you started your kind of this definition or what you've been uncovering, I thought for sure what was going to come out of that was your entrepreneur-like thinking and, and which essentially, I guess, is that pursuit of truth, actually, if you, if you really think about it, because the way I've, I'm seeing your, your work coming together is, you know, you've, you've started a few businesses now, you, that like that, that takes a different mindset, right. And a different thought process and, you know, a a lot of motivation and, and all of that. And then you, you layer on your, experience in, in, in the wellness, mindfulness or mental fitness world and, and really leveling up your, your personal life like that. But then you bring in your data science and I've, I've read your articles. Like it's not like you're just taking, Hey, here's what's been done. And I'm going to apply this to the wellness world. You're, you're completely customizing and like rethinking a lot of that stuff, pulling the core principles from both and 
basically creating that entrepreneur like new product, right? So it, it's really interesting. Like you've got a really fascinating um, intersection with 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 your your worlds. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate that. Yeah, no, but absolutely. Um, so let's jump in uh, to to some of your mental fitness practices, like on a you know, you've, you travel or you've traveled around, you've done some, a, a few pretty big trips. We can, we can jump into that if you, if you'd like as well. Cause I know a lot of, came, a lot came out of, um, I think it was a trip to Cambodia, right. Yeah. Um, which there was a lot of interesting reflections that, that came to fruition there. Mm. But I, I'm curious, like, what are some of the staple practices, uh, obviously meditations one, but that have helped you well, obviously through some, some tough times, but then also led you to some of your biggest, let's say outputs or realizations maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So I've iterated my morning routine, um, probably a thousand times in the last, uh, three years alone. Um, I think that's where all my practices occur all in the first two to three hours of the morning. Um, so I can walk you through that if you like, it's just a step-by-step of what I typically do. Um, so as of today, um, yeah, let's I, get tactical. Totally. I, and why the morning, AJ? Well, I mean, I'm a morning guy too, but like, yeah, why for you? Yeah. Cause I mean, it's the one time in the day before you get hit with a thousand different distractions. Um, yeah. you know, you, my phone's still in airplane mode. That's one of the many practices is from 10 PM to 10 AM. I have my phone in airplane mode each day. Um, so nothing can hit me. I'm completely, you know, in solitude in my own thought, which is for me, a beautiful place to be. Um, but yeah, so yeah. I, I, to explain the morning is really just a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's an on-ramp for the day. It's an algorithm that I've developed that is, um, given certain inputs going to result in certain outputs and the inputs are the practices. The outputs are my flow state, a feeling of just like complete, you know, focus and in some ways bliss. Um, and so I figured out yeah. through many, many experiments, um, thousands of iterations at this point, um, what works for me, although I'm always fine tuning that. So this is just what I'm going to tell you today is really just the latest in a, in a series of experiments. Sure. Yeah. So I'm excited. So, yeah. <laughs> Let's do this. <laughs> um, so <laughs> the, the, the practice as it stands is I go to bed at nine 30, um, and wake up at five 30, um, get up. And first thing I do is I grab my, um, yoga mat and my meditation cushion. Uh, and I open my balcony door, walk outside of my balcony, um, sit down, uh, and then I practice um, Vipassana, mindfulness meditation, breathing in and out for 20 minutes using a timer um, on unguided session on Calm's meditation app. Um, I do this outside because I find the fresh air actually is really healthy for me. Um, and I do it for 20 minutes because I've, uh, I've, I've tried to do more and I feel like I probably should do more. But um, it's the one time period of time that I can definitely guarantee I'll have every single day. And so I, I believe in consistency um, more than yeah. depth in a lot of cases. So 20 minutes meditate, um, no yoga mats just for my, um, for my legs, just to make sure I'm comfortable, um, on the, uh, on the balcony. And then after the practice, I come out, um, stand up, walk back inside, turn the, uh, light on uh, the lamp on my, um, desk and break out my journal. And I write three things I'm grateful for. Um, I don't just write what I'm grateful for, but I also write, um, why I'm grateful for them. So I say, you know, I'm grateful for, uh, what was this morning? It was, uh, oh, um, 
I just recently got a sponsorship um, for my podcast, first sponsorship. And I was like, I'm grateful for the sponsorship for my podcast that I just received because it's some sense of affirmation that I'm on the right path with that project. I've been working on that for 12 months. So it felt really good to have that, you know, uh, feeling of, of uh, appreciation from someone else um, in that way. And I was like three things. And then some things are small. They're just like, I'm grateful for my um, bedroom being a comfortable temperature. So I'm not freezing at night, you know, that I have, like I have experienced mm-hmm. on trips in the past, um, sleeping yeah. in jungles and such. So that's, um, that's another thing. And then after I list the three things I'm grateful for and why, um, I'll often sometimes do what I call like spiritual windshield wipers as a journaling practice, which is basically um, okay. listing anxieties, worries, concerns, um, otherwise just like fears that I find are coming up um, in my mind that I want to trap on paper. And so I find like caging the monkey mind by putting it all on paper and looking at it and asking yourself, are these things true? Um, is a really important um, way of just clearing the head so you can actually enter the day with fresh, um, fresh eyes. So I usually journal for about 10 minutes there doing those two practices. So powerful, right? Like they're just releasing worry or, or anxieties around what usually are just narratives that we're, you know, circulating in our own mind is just so, so powerful. Um, have you ever tried the reverse of, of that setup? Because I actually do exactly what you just mentioned, but the complete opposite. If there's something worrying me, I'll start there and then I'll finish on the on the gratitude piece. And I just feel like, yeah, I mean, yes. you, you feel really good, obviously, right? Because <laughs> you're, you're finishing <laughs> on the on the great things that are going on. But have you ever tried that? I have actually, you know, and that was just the order in which I went this morning. If I'm speaking from recency bias, oh, okay. Um, in fact, okay. I think I usually do do the reverse. I think your 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 method is actually, um. It's probably better. <laughs> and I, I think I normally do that way as well. It's just today, for example, I, the, what I was grateful for was sure. very immediate and yeah. Okay. Yeah. So after the, cool. um, okay. So we're, we're, yeah, we're like between we're 30 minutes into the, six, six thirty. Yeah, totally. So, so okay. it's um, five thirty. wake up 20 minutes of meditation, 10 minutes of journaling. Then I, um, usually will go straight from there, um, to the gym. Um, and I've recently developed, uh, a, uh, a practice where I go do small group fitness classes, usually high intensity interval training hit for short, um, with, with yeah. a form of like different high intensity exercises, kettlebells, um, deadlifts, uh, you know, weighted, um, other weighted exercises like that. Um, but I find having, it makes it feel like a sense of tribe like a tribal setting. Um, and, and I, I'm speaking very literally cause I have quite literally lived with tribes. So I know what that's like. Um, but I find that just having a feeling of community, um, around you while you exert yourself makes the experience so much more. Not only you can push yourself harder, like I've actually tracked my heart rate and my heart rate variability in and outside of these group settings and doing the exact same exercises with the same reps and the exact same sets elicits so much higher level of, you know, exertion or more calories burned yeah. for my body when I'm with other people. So that's, that's a really important um, piece of it as well. Is, and that's an hour. That's an hour of um, high intensity exercise um, is my next step. Okay. And then after that, I will come back. Um, uh, I try to find a gym within a quarter of a mile to a mile or to half a mile of my house, come back home, um, hop in the shower uh, for, you know, five, 10 minutes, uh, no cold showers. I'm, I haven't gotten there yet, although I have a lot of friends. <laughs> uh, I just have such an aversion to cold. That's a whole different s- side note. Yeah. So, so I get in the shower, come out, and this is where 
usually the flow state begins. Um, this is not to sound in any way like prolific or whatever, but um, I do for me when water hits my um, as I'm drying myself as I get outside the shower, always the same moment in which that sequence of priming my mind, priming my body, uh, priming my own perspective with journaling, um, doing those three things leads to like a, like a, just a click. And I'm usually mm-hmm. in my most focused state of the day. And so then I have a certain breakfast I eat every single morning, um, which is the exact same thing. Um, get pretty decent for being tactical here. I can walk through that. <laughs> yeah, um, sure. It's a uh, cereal with um, blueberries, strawberries, handful of each, um, a superfood seed mix. So it's basically um, every superfood seed you can imagine. Um, I won't go through the list, but uh, put into a big mix and then put that in the cereal as well with some almonds on top. And then I use uh, just like almond milk uh, as the, as the base. Um, I eat that every morning, you know, begin my, my work day. Amazing. Well, thank you for the detail. It's, it's super helpful because I mean, the whole idea is people can hopefully pick and choose, uh, different things that, uh, on, on the surface level, hopefully that, that, that will resonate and then dive deeper into, into the practices as they find what works for, for their routine. So, uh, huge thanks. So AJ, I want to get your three reflective questions. These are super important. We'll load these up in Keo and, and hopefully help people with their own daily reflection. So these are either these are questions either you ask on a frequent basis or during big life-changing events. Yeah. So the first one is what am I believing that's limiting me? Um, I often ask this uh, as a way of reframing um, certain assumptions or beliefs I have uh, that cause me uh, to, you know, restrict in some way my potential in the given moment. Um, I find that asking this, what am I believing that's limiting me, allows me to take ownership over um, the fact that any, you know, thing I say is not possible uh, is purely so mm-hmm. because of my own understanding um, of the world, which may or may not be accurate and may or may not be accurate about myself most importantly. So I ask that, what am I believing that's limiting me is my, it's my first question. Um, the second question is, uh, this is something I ask on a quarterly basis, and I actually do a deep journaling exercise on, is um, would my eight-year-old self be proud of who I've become? Oh, I love that. Would my 80-year-old self be proud of who I'm becoming? Powerful stuff. So I ask that um, as a way of just checking, am I on the right path? You know, like, is it, would my young childhood self like be proud of this and then when I die at the end you know am I going to look back on this and say like hey you know you've done well Um, this is not to consider really anyone else's viewpoints on what is good or bad or successful or failure but just to consider for myself like deep down internally um, is this true and okay yeah I often ask that I like that you do it quarterly too that's um that's a great just a great deep reflection four times or three, three, four times a year. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. And I find that that actually is, it's one of those questions when they're, if it's so deep, it's harder to do on a more consistent basis because you, you can't really see the forest for the trees every day. Um, but when you do come up yeah. for air and you really look at, you know, how I've spent my time, what my priorities have been, um, it helps, I think, reframe and reshift um, where you spend those, those, uh, non-renewable resources. And then the third question, this is something I ask probably on a daily basis. 
Um, and I got it from Eckhart Tolle. Um, it is, what is wrong with this moment? Uh, and I often ask that uh, not as a way of actually seeking something that's wrong, but as a way of identifying when I'm stressed, anxious, sad, you know, whatever feeling in some ways, you know, having a, a small depressive episode of sorts, um, re- rechecking, like, is there something wrong with this moment or is there something wrong with how I anticipate the next moment's going to be or how I, how I reflect on the past moment was. And I think this is a practice of presence more or less. I, I ask it to myself this morning. I was actually feeling pretty stressed about all this like housekeeping that I had to do. And I was just like, I, I have to balance all these yeah. calls and meetings and projects and such with this, you know, my room's a fucking mess. <laughs> and then yeah, I, was, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was just like, okay, like pause, like what is wrong with this moment? And I was like, nothing, nothing's wrong with this moment. Like everything's still, I'm fine. I'm in, I'm in a hot, you know, I have access to clean drinking water, food, a warm bed, like everything's in a way fine. And then that allows me to go from there and actually live on the rest of my day in a little bit more of a, you know, settled mind state. Well, yeah. I mean, it pulls you out of the circuit or the autopilot, right? Which is what I, I love about the, the, the idea or what's behind this, this prompt. And the fact that it seems like, you know, these prompts are designed to help people with their journaling practice. But I, I feel like when someone shifts and, and this recently happened to me over the last few years to almost like you're always journaling, you're not always writing, but you're, you know, this is a, this is a perfect example where you've, you've now leveraged a prompt in a scenario and it'll help you in that moment. You don't have to sit down. You don't have, it doesn't have to be at six o'clock in the morning. It's like, you're getting that benefit right then and, and yeah. there. Right. Yeah, exactly. Amazing. Well, thank you for sharing these and, you know, thank you for, for your time and, and, and being so open with your journey. It's, um, I love, I just love your, your mentality around data science and the link to all of this. Cause even the, you know, the fact that you're measuring, you know, your, your heart rate in different exercise scenarios. I mean, the, the, the data scientist is coming <laughs> out of you or it's oozing out of you all the time, which is, which is amazing. So for me, it's, it, it's great to just provide, um, our audience with a completely different perspective. Um, yet, yet again, not a completely different perspective. So it's kind of cool to have, uh, your mix of worlds. So huge thanks for that. A huge thanks for everyone, uh, from everyone listening to just the work that you're putting out there and you following your purpose and, and being motivated to, to do awesome things out in this world, which ultimately are helping a lot of people. So a huge thanks and congrats. Thank you so much, Mark. And the same to you as well. I think that what you guys are doing with Kayo is, um, phenomenal. Uh, journaling has been like a really fundamentally, just a practice of self inquiry has been a really fundamentally game changing, um, habit for me. And uh, the fact that you guys are making this more accessible to, to those across the world who may not have, have a toolkit or a, you know, set of questions through which to, um, begin that self-inquiry and, and practice it on a daily basis. It's, it's amazing that you're giving and sharing, um, those, uh, those tools with so many people. It's, I think it's going to be a really, um, it's going to lead to a lot more conscious, of a world, people who have a lot more self-awareness and are, are much more aware of the you know, effect they're having on people around them. So thank you so much for the work that you're doing. And I appreciate you having me on the show. Uh, thanks for those words. That that means the world. We're, we're doing the best we can and there's, there's a lot more coming. So we're, we're excited. So thanks for that. Have yourself the best day yet. Thank you. 